Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. So, Associate Professor uh, Ada Chung, uh, can you just explain first and foremost what endocrinology is? Sure. Um, thanks for having me on the show, Sam. So, endocrinology is um, the study of hormones. So, hormones are things like testosterone and estrogen, and they drive, um, you know, the differences between men and women. Um, and so, what I do is I treat as a doctor, I treat anyone who has, you know, a, an abnormality or a, or a problem with their hormones, and that includes transgender people who will, who may need hormone therapy to affirm their gender. So, what role would the endocrinologist have played in Fina's consultation to come to the decision that they did? So, I'm sure that they would have had endocrinologists, I presume. I don't know who was involved, but endocrinologists um, understand how hormones affect the body and they understand how testosterone, the main male hormone, affects the body and how estrogen affects the body. And I'm sure they would also have scientists who would Mm. have done research in this space as well, I presume. Yeah, they stated uh, the experts that they used and endocrinologists were one of those first mentioned. So what did you think of the decision, but also the explanation from FINA that according to their experts who they consulted, they believe that unless you transitioned before puberty, that you have an unfair advantage over cisgender women or, or traditional women, as some like to say, whilst, we, whilst also saying they have to protect the right of athletes to compete, um, we also have to protect competitive fairness at our events. I think that it's a really difficult decision for sporting organisations to make and, and governments and um, when there's very little research in the space. So, you know, we know that men and women are different. Biological males tend to have high testosterone, low estrogen. Biological females, who are adults, tend to have high estrogen, low testosterone, typically less than two nanomoles per litre, whereas a man will have something between 10 to 30. We know that there's a difference, and that's why sport is segregated into female and male categories. But that doesn't always capture the diversity that is amongst humans. And what we don't know is how what happens to a transgender woman who's transitioned from male to female, had feminizing hormone therapy with their sex hormones, testosterone and estrogen, actually in the female reference range, how does that impact on sporting performance and fitness and endurance. And so that research is very scant. So transgender health has been taboo for years. Um, uh, you know, it, And it's not just transgender health, but also transgender research has been taboo. And so we're really in the infancy stage of this research. Um, what we do know is that when someone starts feminizing hormone therapy, typically we will 
raise their estrogen and drop their testosterone to less than two, so in the cisgender female range. And when we do that, we know that muscle mass decreases, muscle strength decreases, bone density decreases, and they develop the body composition of a of a of a female, and also hemoglobin, which is the oxygen-carrying red blood cells that are important for um, endurance, and um, you may have heard of blood doping, where people try and increase their red blood cells. The opposite happens in trans women. So their hemoglobin drops to a typical cisgender female levels, and, and these changes start to occur within three months. And only one study has followed trans women out to three years. And that only involved like 19 trans women who were not athletes. And it showed that even at three years, their muscle mass and muscle strength were still declining. Um, so what is not known is how long does someone need to transition for, for these changes to plateau? And also what isn't known is how does this actually compare to say a cisgender woman or a cisgender man who's matched for height? So muscle strength is like dependent on lots of things, including height. Um, and, you know, there haven't been adequate comparison groups that have followed trans women over time, um, at, let alone in trans athletes. There's just so few of them that um, there's very hard to get research in this space. So FINA have stated that they're that um, there are sex-linked biological differences in aquatics, especially amongst elite athletes, due to substantially higher testosterone as a result of male puberty. They've also said that additional advantages men have if they have been through puberty and then transition are larger lungs, hearts, feet, and hands, and longer bones. From what you're telling us, that's not an absolute, and there's the evidence that we do have might, all, might actually be to the contrary. Well, that is... What FEMA have stated, that male puberty does result in these things, okay? And some of these things, some characteristics are reversible and some characteristics are not reversible. So things like lung size, feet and hands and bone shape are not reversible after you start feminising hormone therapy. The data on the heart is not clear. We have some data that questions that. Um, and cardiac capacity. We know muscle function changes. And, you know, some of the other features that I described before change. But what we don't know is there's a lot of difference in, you know, all people, whether that be men or women. And someone with a larger stature, so a typical trans woman will probably be taller on average um, than a cisgender woman. But they will have a reduction in their muscle mass. So we don't know whether this might be an advantage in, in some sports. But this potentially, like a big frame but small muscles, might be a disadvantage in other sports. And I often use the analogy that um, take a four-wheel drive that's powered by a little hatchback engine. And it might look big and strong on the outside, but the power is actually quite low. And we don't know whether this is a disadvantage in, in some sports uh, or whether whether it is an advantage in some sports. But from what we can see, there are, and the FINA spokesperson said this, there are zero trans women competing in elite sport. And if you look at the Olympics, they've had transgender policy since 2004. So that's covered about 70,000 Olympians and only two have been trans women one of them came last and the other came 37 out of 42. 
So most certainly, trans women aren't dominating women's sport. And based on what we've seen at the elite level, it doesn't look like um, we're being overrun by, by trans women whatsoever. It's a little bit, um, it affects a very small proportion of the community. Yeah, so I was going to bring that up um, as the chat went on uh, about any examples that we have of a transgender woman dominating an elite level sport. Leah mm. Thomas at the NCAA yeah. Championship made yeah. all three finals but had a first well off Katie Ledecky's record at a fifth and then an eighth. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I haven't been able to find any examples either of where a trans woman has dominated or is dominating elite-level sport in such a way that would mean that there has to be uh, a policy such as this handed down as quickly as this uh, has been. But I'll get to that in just a minute. As we're looking to educate ourselves here after FINA's decision to to ban transgender women, uh, we're speaking to uh, Associate Professor Ada Chung, uh, who's one of our leading endocrinologists. That's one of the levels of science or categories of science that FINA consulted with in order to make this decision. as we're learning a little bit more here, um, Professor Chung, so what is hormone replacement treatment? What does it do and how does it affect the body? Yes. So not every trans person wants hormone therapy, but a lot of trans people will need hormone therapy to affirm their gender. Mm. And the whole goal of this is to relieve the distress that people have surrounding the mismatch and the incongruence between their gender and their physical characteristics. Um, and I'd encourage you to speak to some trans women to, mm. and trans men and non-binary people to understand the level of distress that people go through before they embark on this and make this decision that's usually long thought out um, and not an easy one to make. And so when people have made this decision, say they decide they need to feminize their body and they're born male at birth, we will give them estrogen and a testosterone blocker typically to try and get their hormone profile in the typical female range. So they have high estrogen levels and low testosterone levels. And this will cause effects like reduction in muscle, increase in fat mass, their skin changes, their body composition changes, their, their sexual effects, they have a reduction in sexual function, they have um, a change in their hair, reduction in facial hair and body hair growth. Um, and most markedly, often people describe an improvement in their distress or their gender dysphoria and their psychological functioning. And so it's one step to help people feel more comfortable in their body so that their exterior matches more mm. how they feel inside. Um, what doesn't change with feminizing hormones is things like the voice or the bony shape, um, the, the genitals, of course. Um, and so... Hormone therapy can't change everything, but it can go a long way. And we know that it improves mental health and psychological functioning. And the opposite occurs in trans people who want to masculinize. We'll give people who are assigned female at birth testosterone to increase their testosterone levels to the typical cisgender male range. And they will masculinize. And they will masculinize because testosterone is such a dominant hormone, markedly. Um, They'll have increase in muscle, facial hair growth, decrease in fat in their body, the body shape of a, of a male, um, lowering of their voice, body hair, facial hair, and roughening of their skin. And the changes that occur typically often are indistinguishable from a cisgender man. So often you may walk past a trans person and have no idea that they're trans. 
um, it's not always obvious mm. from the outside, despite what people might think. Professor, this has been, and, and when you remove the extreme at either end of this, conversa- of this conversation, um, to take away those who are shouting and thumping the desk the hardest at, at either end, and you get to the middle of it, uh, for people who genuinely come at this with empathy uh, and compassion and care, it is, a, it is a seemingly to be a debate about the balance between inclusion, which sport is better at than just about anything in the world. It is there to say this is for everybody. You you, you have a place here. Come and when, when you are part of a team, you, you, it is part. It is about belonging to something more than just whether it be your family uh, or your friends. So it, it what it does in the space Absolutely. of inclusivity from a young place is so important. But it all is also likes. It also holds fairness at the heart of what it's all about as well. So this has become a bit of a debate about what's more important to us: inclusiveness or fairness. At the stage that we're at, at the stage that we're currently at, as you say, there's no trans athlete dominating any elite sport. Kieran Perkins spoke to Jared Waitley, and we heard a grab of that today. He believes the decision is slightly ahead of time, given that in Australia we don't have any transgender women competing anywhere near the highest level of swimming, and only a few that he's aware of looking to become part of local swimming clubs. And he's been consulted on how they welcome those people in to, to their club. Do you feel like that this is a bit premature, the decision? It's really, I think sport is as absolutely, as you said, it's a balance between fairness, inclusion, participation, and it's different at different levels of sport. Some of the elite levels have prioritised fairness, as you can see by their um, guidelines. But I think, I hope that this doesn't trickle, trickle down to the community level mm. where absolutely inclusion and participation is critical. Um, we know that trans people aren't, like I treat a lot of trans people as a clinician, as a doctor, and they're not exercising. Um, they're not participating in sport because of fear of discrimination, fear of getting out and being made fun of in the street or you know at sporting clubs what are they get what bathroom change rooms uniforms what are people going to think um there's so much stigma in the community mm. that trans people fear being themselves and we know the research actually is pretty it supports this so we know research has shown that 70 percent of you know high school students participate in sport but only 26 percent of lesbian gay and bisexual students participate and only 12 percent of trans girls participate in any sport Yet we have enormous rates of suicide. Um, like my research has shown 43% have attempted suicide um, at some point in their lifetime and over 80% experience depression or anxiety um, and they have higher rates of heart disease and stroke. And so trans people are a community that really need the mental health and physical health mm. benefits of exercise, sport, belonging in the community. Um, and we need to be breaking down barriers to try and get people at a community level participating. Uh, Professor, and Kate Campbell spoke to that as well. Um, and, and again, yep. I thought it's, you know, she had sided with the, 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 the decision for FINA, but was very, went at pains to say that this is not about you not being welcome and, uh, and really wanted to, to push that point home as well. Whereas other swimmers, Maddie Groves have said, no, well, despite all you say, you are excluding. Um, mm. so th- there is, it is a bit of a war within itself at the moment swimming, but what are the positives? So, so are there is from from what you're looking at here the decision that FINA has made? Are there positives to the decision? Is it now have they 
got ahead of is this about that they feel like they've got ahead of something that might be coming um and then can move from there are there positives to the decision that's a that's a difficult question because there's no right or wrong answer because mm. the science I, i'm used to making clinical decisions or policy decisions based on good level evidence or scientific evidence before me but there isn't in the transgender health space okay. There is evidence between differences between men and women, but not studying trans women who make up a tiny proportion of the community and even minute proportion of the small community are playing sports, let alone being athletes. And so it's really hard to make decisions when there's no evidence. So they've just made a call based on, and when we don't have evidence, people make calls based on expert opinion, what we know about physiology and, you know, case studies so hopefully they've spoken to trans women and my patients tell me they lose a lot of muscle mass but I, I'm concerned about the decision because of the flow-on effects because all decisions are made in the context of the environment that we live in and trans people are stigmatized access to care gender-affirming care is illegal in about 61 of the FINA associated countries and so it's really really challenging Um, and whilst you know they don't want this implemented well it seems in community sport I hope that people listen to that Um, but ultimately there are flow-on effects and um, you know we've seen that other sporting organizations you know will make these sort of judgments and I think a blanket ban is is really challenging given the few few trans athletes that there are, I think there's space for individual consideration and and case by case. There's going to be small trans women, petite trans women, large trans women, um, and it's really challenging, um, particularly when we're already working to try and break down barriers for trans people to participate. Uh, Professor, just two more questions from me. Um, The the idea of an open class in elite-level competition, now there's no guarantee of that from the IOC, so this would be at high-level swimming competitions, an open class category. Um, What's your view on that and what would need to be considered in the implementation of that? A lot of people have said, well, yes, there should be an open class, but I think they haven't acknowledged that there aren't any trans women in elite swimming and there aren't any trans women in competitive swimming. Um, so I don't know who's going to compete in... Um, At the moment, it would just be Leah Thomas, um, as far as I know. Yeah, well, um, there's an argument that Leah actually fits within the realm of the female category because whilst people make assumptions based on Leah's face um, and Leah's physique, I think what her and media reports that she's you know dominating the sport but if you have a look at her time say Mm. for the 500 free it's slower than the pool record it's slower than last year's winner it's slower than the ncaa record um and far slower than all of the uh, men's field so you know whilst it's one person it's hard to make judgments based on one person but you know trans women aren't dominating sport and they're not a threat to women's sport based on what we're seeing so uh, professor the other rugby league so i've made a decision today um banning trans women from competing at the international level um so this 
might be a bit different because it is a, a, a heavy contact sport. And we've seen the AFL just push pause in the early stages of the AFLW um, because that was a competition in its infancy um, where there was concerns about given the, the lack of years behind the players playing, that the the idea about the physicality and the contact um, was a, making sure that it, the environment was as safe as it needed to be given it was so fledgling um, in its development phase. Um, rugby League have made that decision today. From the science perspective of it, do you see the, the Rugby League decision a bit differently than the swimming decision given that it is a, a, a contact sport? I acknowledge that sporting organisations need to make decisions based on their individual sport. Mm. World Rugby have banned trans women for quite some time already. And when I when I read the guidelines that World Rugby put out and the science behind their decision, their decision was not based on any measured data in trans women. It was based on modelling. So they'd modelled what they thought a trans woman's height and weight might be. They didn't actually take any measurements from trans women or trans athletes playing rugby. And they did this model. And based on that model, they decided that it wasn't safe. But I think you could probably agree that that's not the most scientific um, way to um, make a decision. And what ultimately needs to happen is to measure data in trans female rugby players and compare them to cisgender women, which we, we, we don't have. Um, but, you know, I, it's incredibly hard. It's hard to make a sporting guideline when there isn't data and, and they needed to make a call. Um, well, they, I think they have, have acknowledged that so, and, and it'd be until they do know more. So um, I, I think yeah. that that's There's, been acknowledged. Yeah. And I think... You could you could go either way, and there's no yep. right or wrong. And you'd sure. be, there's no there's no data to suggest that safety is compromised by including trans women either. Yep. So yeah, hey, it, it's tricky. It, it certainly is. I appreciate you giving us the science uh, from your from from your research uh, behind it, Professor. Thank you so much. We wanted to try and find out a bit more to educate ourselves a bit, and, and I believe that you've helped us do that. So thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks, Sam. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.